Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are tuning in. Thank you so much for joining me today uh, for this uh, next offering. Uh, this is turning out to be a series on loving kindness. I didn't intend uh, for it to be that when I started, but here it is. <laughs> and so it's kind of fitting because I am uh, facilitating Oh, just jump into the announcements here. I am facilitating an online uh, meditation retreat offering on loving kindness. Uh, this will be launched on January 3rd and it runs uh, to February 4th. Uh, we will meet, if you sign up for this wonderful offering, we'll be meeting twice a week for 90 minute sessions over Zoom. Uh, this is uh, 6 p.m. Pacific Coast time, so adjust your times accordingly. I'm just going to work with uh, Pacific Coast time uh, for this announcement here. Uh, 6 p.m. Pacific Coast time on Sunday evenings and Thursday evenings. Uh, that's 9 p.m. on the East Coast or 9 a.m. here in Thailand. Uh, this will be again offered over Zoom uh, for 90 minutes. And Zoom offers a lot of uh, really wonderful um, technology offerings there, which is why I'm using Zoom. It's easy to share files. It's easy to show slides. Um, it's also uh, easy to record. And that's really key because many times people who sign up for the retreats can't make a particular day or they might not even be able to make uh, the whole uh, Thursday evenings. They can just do Sundays and so forth like that. So that's okay. That's fine. Uh, they'll be recorded. They'll be made available the same day or the morning after. Uh, and then you'll have time to, over the week, watch the recordings and practice in that way. So you, uh, people who can't make uh, some of the sessions or a good chunk of the sessions, don't worry. Uh, you'll be able to keep up and follow along with the retreat uh, through that format. And uh, in that retreat, it is a loving-kindness retreat, like I mentioned, and we'll be doing uh, the very traditional practices of loving-kindness uh, from the Buddhist uh, traditions. I might throw in a Vedanta practice as well there. Uh, we'll see. And I'll be drawing from all of the traditions worldwide, as I often do, uh, because loving-kindness is emphasized in every spiritual tradition, so why not? So hope you can join me for that. That's again, January 3rd to February 4th. Another announcement I'd like to make is I am currently accepting applications for one-on-one -on -one students. Uh, so if anybody here is interested in either deepening a currently existing practice or a beginning a meditation practice, uh, please do Email me through the website suchsweetthunder.org or you can message me here on Instagram or Facebook and we'll uh, get you set up. Why study one-on-one -on -one with a teacher for meditation? There's so many apps and, and videos on YouTube and so forth. What's the benefit? Well, in a one-on-one -on -one setting, uh, the teacher is allowed to uh, cultivate a practice for the student that matches what the student is experiencing. 
uh, one can develop a practice, uh, the teacher-student uh, relationship uh, can develop a practice uh, that more appropriately matches the student's questions and uh, what's happening for the student while they practice. It's one of the reasons why I love teaching one-on-one -on -one is that it allows me to custom make a meditation practice uh, for the students. Uh, so for more information about that, again, go visit the website suchsweetthunder.org. And on that website, you can click on online studies page. And that will tell you everything you need to know to get started uh, for uh, the online studies. I'd also like to just announce that I've been invited uh, through these Facebook offerings and Instagram uh, to uh, cross post with the Contemplative Light page. Contemplative Light is a primarily, well, it's a, just a um, really a spiritual page. There's not, not any particular religion or faith or practice. It seems to emphasize uh, Christian Gnosticism, uh, but uh, all uh, walks are welcome there. And if you're looking for um, some really deep uh, spiritual education and practices, uh, Contemplative Light is a really great resource, both their website and their Facebook page. Uh, and again, I am honored uh, to be um, broadcasting live here through Contemplative Light as well. So thank you, uh, Contemplative Light, for inviting me. Uh, that's really a beautiful uh, move there. Okay, moving into loving-kindness. So I thought as a way of kind of setting the table here for this session would be to do a very brief loving-kindness meditation. Now, in the format uh, as it's presented traditionally and in the format that I will be using in the online retreat, uh, we start with loving-kindness for ourself, then we expand that out to loving-kindness to our loved ones, our family, our friends. Then we expand that circle of care to include strangers, people we don't know, and then expanding again to include people we don't like very much, and then expanding out to the entire world. That's the very traditional format, and that's how we will be uh, working with these practices uh, in January on the retreat. Now today, we're just going to go briefly uh, into a meditation where we offer loving kindness to our own heart, because that's where it all starts. And I'll talk more about why that's so fundamental to these practices after we do the, the meditation. And then we'll talk a little bit more about loving kindness for strangers, loved ones, and perceived enemies, and so forth. A lot of ground to cover. I'm just going to jump right in here. So a little bit of an introduction before I ring the bell. Uh, I'm going, going to ring the meditation bell here. I'm just going to bring us into the present moment using the breath, the body, the sounds. Uh, but very briefly, I'm not going to go detailed the way I normally would in a full meditation practice. Then we use what's known as meta phrases. And these are kind of constructed as aphorisms. 
but in this practice we give them a little more weight, a different kind of emphasis than a, just a typ typical aphorism. And it said that we visualize bringing the phrase into our own heart. And as we allow the phrase to land in our heart, uh, we visualize or imagine what our life would look and feel like if that phrase was completely reflective of our own life circumstance. Now, there might be a resistance to that. That's actually normal, and, and it's, the phrases are meant to elicit a type of resistance. The idea in the practice is we get to know that resistance. We become very intimate with our resistances to loving kindness. And in that familiarity, in that intimacy with those resistances, they start to crumble. We start to be able to allow loving kindness to flow into our heart around those resistances. And eventually the resistance itself will dissolve. Now we don't need to try to push through the resistances or any way, in, in any way. Uh, we don't need to struggle against that. We just observe it. And I used this example last time in a brief meditation in the last episode, but just to uh, recap that, you can think of the resistance as like a clenched fist. And our awareness is like an open hand of compassion. And so when we notice the resistance in loving kindness, we hold it like that with, with an open hand of compassion. And in that holding, we, we provide it support. So, oh, of course you're there. This resistance is there to protect me. This resistance is there to keep me safe. It makes sense that it's there. So we don't try to force it or push it away in any, in any way, or that's not necessary. But we actually can admire the resistance and respect it because it's there for a reason. Now, all of that I'll be working through in great detail in the retreat uh, starting on January 3rd on the online retreat. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of that now today because I really just want to use this practice uh, to set the stage uh, for the talk that I'm about to give. So we'll do this for maybe about seven minutes, more or less. Uh, and if you'd like a full guided meditation on loving kindness, uh, there are many on my website or on YouTube. Uh, just if you'd like one, you can message me, either uh, direct message me or you can put a, a comment at the bottom of the video there. And I'll happy, happily send a link over. I'm a little tongue-tied today. Okay. <laughs> All right. Enjoy this brief meditation into loving kindness. And so the invitation now is to really allow the body, mind, and heart to rest. Letting any obvious tensions in the body go. 
allowing the mind and heart to rest open and vast. And you can use the anchor of the breath as a way of bringing your awareness into the present moment. Perhaps noticing the breath at the nostrils or the back of the throat. You might also notice the body rising and falling as you inhale and exhale. Notice how the breath moves through the body as you breathe in and breathe out. You could also use sensations of the body to bring your attention into the present moment, sensations of feet against the mat or the floor, the weight of the body against the cushion or chair or mat or floor. You might notice sensations of clothing against the back or the shoulders. All of these sensations are present moment experiences. The hands and arms resting against the body. There might also be sensations arising from the face or the top of the head. And if breath or body seems inaccessible, you can also use sounds of the present moment to bring you closer to the experience of now. Whatever sounds might be arising there in your environment can be used as an anchor into the present moment. So allowing the, the mind to rest, allowing thoughts to relatively subside for a moment, allowing the heart to be open. And we'll begin offering these very, very precious phrases of loving kindness to our own heart. Now you could just bring this phrase up to your own heart like that, and you can even put your hand on your heart. That can sometimes help. Or you might visualize yourself giving the phrase to you in a visualization, either a younger you or an older you or you in the present moment. Or you could visualize yourself outside of you bringing these phrases to loving kindness to your heart. May I be happy.
weekend visualizing your life unfolding as if you are 100% happy all of the time. Noting any resistance to that, doubts, or there might be an opening or a small opening or a large opening. You might feel no emotional response to the phrase and that's fine too. Those seeds are just being planted for future blossomings of loving-kindness. May I be healthy. May I live a life of peace without struggle. May I open to things just as they are. May I experience the world opening to me just as I am. May I welcome whatever arises. And so just allow yourself to rest with one or more of those phrases. If there's a resistance, don't try to push. Just feel what the resistance feels like. Hold the resistance with compassion.
Now in a few breaths, we'll transition back to a conversational space. If you're watching this on recording and you'd like to rest in loving kindness or practice that meditation, uh, go ahead and pause here. You can spend some more time. And we'll transition back. I'll ring the meditation bell, the customary three bells. Okay, thank you for joining me in that. I hope you enjoyed that. And so that's the type of meditation practice we'll be exploring on the online retreat. Uh, so if you found that uh, helpful or intriguing or provoking or evocative, uh, go ahead and sign up for the retreat and, and we'll be going into that practice in great detail. So I mentioned in the advertisement for today's talk that I would be talking about loving kindness for our enemies, and we'll get to that. Uh, but I, I wanna, wanna start this talk with uh, talking about loving kindness for strangers. That's actually the third stage of the practice. Traditionally, we start with ourself, then with loved ones, and then with strangers. And really, it's all we're doing, each stage, we're doing loving kindness for ourselves, And that's why I mentioned it's so important to start with that. Because really, when we're working with loving kindness for loved ones, or loving kindness for strangers, we, we do it through a visualization. And it's really it's our own experience of the stranger that we're extending loving kindness to. Just like in a dreamscape, all of the characters in your dream are really you projected onto the, the dreamscape. No matter how you feel about the dragon in your dream or, or uh, the stranger in your dream or the loved one in your dream, it's your interpretation of that being on projected out onto the dreamscape. And it's the same in these practices. So when we extend loving kindness to someone we don't know in the metta practices, in the loving kindness practices, we're working with how we feel about strangers. Now, I'll tell a story here. Um, I was on a uh, loving-kindness retreat not, not that long ago, actually. I was facilitating a loving-kindness retreat at the center here in uh, Chiang Rai in North Thailand, uh, where I was teaching until they uh, closed for the COVID crisis. We were lucky enough to open uh, for a seven-day uh, loving-kindness retreat, which I facilitated, and we got to the stage of loving kindness for the stranger. And 
you know, while I'm facilitating, I'm also doing the practices along with everyone, keeping up with the retreat myself. And so the stranger that I chose was a person who worked, uh, who really owned uh, a coffee place uh, across the street from the retreat center. And so, you know, I had no feelings of attraction or aversion or indifference towards this person. They were just a face that I'd seen in passing from time to time. And so I brought the image of this stranger uh, up into my mind's eye in, in the practice the way we just did. And I extended those phrases of loving kindness to this individual. And we do these practices several times throughout the day. And the next morning I went to go take my coffee after the morning meditation sessions. And there she was. And I felt this, my heart just open, boom. Wow. There, there's this person now and I felt this it just overflowing abundance of loving kindness for this person. This feeling that I really wanted for this person to be happy, to be healthy, to live a life without struggle. And that, I don't think, that person, maybe they could feel, you know, when I was paying for the coffee or, or, or taking my first sip of the coffee, maybe they could feel a shift in my energy. I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter. But I felt it. And wow, <laughs> that felt good. It felt good. And it reminded me that loving kindness for the stranger uh, it turns every stranger into an opportunity to feel good. That's a lot. That's a lot of opportunities to feel good. There's so many strangers in the world. There's so many people we don't know, especially if you live in a city and you, you walk down the street, there's all these faces in the crowd. Each one, each face is an opportunity for us to touch in with the softness of our heart, the warmth of loving kindness. And it's amazing, you know, when, when we start to take this up as a practice, you start to, at least for me, I started to think, wow, I, I've gone, you know, a long, many years in my life and, and all the opportunities I've missed to feel good. I can feel good each time I look at a stranger because I can really genuinely want that person's happiness. And in that wanting for them, my heart opens. And this is how this practice works. And it's why each stage of this practice is so profound. We start with love and kindness for ourselves because that really allows that juice to get in there. <laughs> we marinate our heart in loving kindness. Ah. And so that allows that. So when we go into loving kindness for the stranger, it's already there. There's already a resonance happening. 
the seeds have been planted and then when we extend loving kindness to strangers, the seeds start to bear more and more fruit. Now the fruit can come at any stage of the practice. It often does come in the first few stages as well. But here, because I think there is just an abundance of strangers, I mean, if even if we're on lockdown because of COVID, all you have to do is turn on the TV and there's strangers there, right? There's strangers everywhere on the television. And if you're watching a drama, all of the extras, if you turn on the news, all of the people in the background, and we don't even know the, the, the reporter, right? They're a stranger. Now we might have an attraction or aversion towards that person. So that doesn't usually work. We have to work with neutral people for this stage of the practice. So it's funny, after I had this experience, I, I well, very recently, actually, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I, I uh, downloaded an audiobook on Audible. This is a, this is a, I, I really love audiobooks nowadays. Uh, they're so easy. <laughs> and I, I got uh, Jack Cornfield's uh, Bringing the Dharma Home, which, uh, by the way, is a great book. And he actually uh, talks about his experience very similar to mine. Uh, so it was nice to uh, hear uh, the great insight teacher, Jack Cornfield, uh, um, telling a story about, about uh, love and kindness to a stranger in very much the same way. Although, I did, yeah, you'd have to check out the book. There are some differences there. I don't think he brought it out into the world uh, the way I've just described, but in any case, it does work. It's not just my own experience, and I've seen it with other students as well. So I do want to jump into loving kindness for the perceived enemy. And I'm really going to do this as a way of kind of reading uh, different passages uh, from different teachers. And the first one, I think, is, uh, well, this is my favorite. And it's really great because it's Christmas time. And uh, so this uh, is, there's some passages from the Bible here. So maybe uh, when you're with your family, if you're lucky enough to be with family this year, or if you're doing a Zoom Christmas and you're singing Christmas songs, uh, or you're exchanging gifts, but however you celebrate the birth of Christ, perhaps remembering these words. And the words that I'm going to read here come actually from the uh, mouth of Martin Luther King Jr. This was at a speech he gave in Memphis at the height of the Civil Rights Movement. And so Martin Luther King quoting the Bible, the words of Jesus. You have heard that it has been said love your enemies sorry you have heard that it has been said love your friends and hate your enemies but i say unto you love your enemies bless them that curse you do good to them that hate you and pray for them whom despitefully use you
than Martin Luther King in his own words. Certainly, these are great words. Words lifted to cosmic proportions. And over the centuries, many people have argued that this is an extremely difficult command. It is. That's why we go on retreats to practice. Many might go so far as to say that it isn't possible to live out and practice this most glorious command. They would go on to say that this is just additional proof that Jesus was just an impractical idealist who never quite came down to earth. And so the arguments abound. But far from being a, an impractical idealist, Jesus has become the practical realist. The words of this text glitter in our eyes with a new urgency. Far from being the pious injunction of a utopian dreamer, this command is an absolute necessity for the survival of our civilization. Yes, it is love that will save our world and our civilization. Love even for our enemies. Perhaps love especially for our enemies. the king, <clears throat> bringing it home, making it real. And this, as I said, is the height of the civil rights movement. In Memphis, Martin Luther King gave this speech, surrounded by people who loved him, but surrounded by a culture that would have very much perceived him as enemy. See, Martin Luther King knew, Gandhi knew, the Buddha knew, Jesus knew, that this power of loving kindness is transformative. radical. But it is challenging. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. It's, it takes work. It takes, it takes seeing our resistances, getting to know them holding them with compassion. We've been, as, habit, as uh, humans, 
cultivating the habit to hurt our enemy, to hate our enemy, to fight our enemy. In fact, without that in our cultural DNA, we wouldn't have survived as a species. But now that habit is a part of a very, very outdated worldview, a worldview, an outdated worldview that's causing suffering around the world. So the move now is to recognize that habit, that resistance, hold it, and then let it go. To see the person who has the opposing view as you with compassion. And to recognize that our own views are just lines on the map of reality. They're not reality. And that person's views are lines on their map. And that's not reality either. Now, as I mentioned on the first episode of this series, these views which create maps which we live by, they're not all equal. And if somebody's using a map if I'm using a map or you're using a map that's causing harm or hurt, that's excluding people based on their race, their culture, their belief system, their sexual preferences, the way they identify as a human being. If your map excludes people or hurts people based on that, that map is outdated. You need a new map. If you know people, if your perceived enemy is using those maps, holding them with compassion, holding them with love and kindness, become friends with them. The only way a person is going to say, let me see your map, is if you're friends. If you have this happening, or if you try to force your way of seeing the world on another, that's when the fighting starts. And it just creates a greater and greater divide. And we see this time and time again throughout history. From the beginning of history till present, We've seen this over and over again. The wars create more wars. Yelling, anger, violence only begets yelling, anger, and violence. The radical move here is to turn and shift. Go against that grain go against the stream of our conditioning.
And there have been times in history where we've seen this work as well. Right? The, the beautiful, beautiful image of the young lady placing a flower in the tank at the Vietnam protests. Wow. And that image helped stop that war. In Tibet, the 14th century, 15th century, 16th century in Tibet, uh, they disbanded the military. The government was all monastics, monks and nuns. So there was no military. And through their pacifism, through their loving kindness, they transformed the neighboring state of Mongolia to have no military as well. And they became uh, a country practicing loving kindness. Gandhi, with his uh, incredible move of uh, passive resistance, peaceful resistance, transforming a whole occupation of India. It can be done. We see these flowerings of loving kindness that create this type of social change throughout our history. But it just takes the, the brave heart, the first move forward. Who's going to make the first move? Who's going to say, it'll be me that takes the energy of this person's anger and transforms it into loving kindness rather than throws it back in their face out of vengeance. There's so much strength and power in the open heart of loving kindness. It's not weak, it's not soft, it's powerful. As I said, it's transformative. I'll just tell a quick story or two as a way of kind of winding down. So the first story comes from the Buddhist tradition, and I'm just going to paraphrase this story. So I wasn't planning on telling it, but it feels right. So there's one day in northern India, the Buddha is in his own home monastery in Savati, his attendant Ananda and several other attendants and monastics are there, lay people. They're here to hear the, they are there to hear the Buddha give a talk. And this was actually on a day of celebration, a festive, a festive day, they're called. And so there's quite a large crowd. And a young Brahmin appears at the back of the hall 
and he moves through the crowd and he starts yelling and swearing at the Buddha, calling him a fake and a phony and, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, you know, you feel foul, foul, feel foul. And Ananda, his attendant, stands up and is ready to, to, to lunge at this stranger, this Brahmin. And the Brahmin gets right up in the Buddha's face and spits on his face. And the Buddha is just silent, emanating an energy, an aura of loving-kindness. And the Brahmin, who can't get a reaction from the Buddha, gets frustrated and, and leaves in his own stew of anger. Now, Ananda and a few of the other attendants, you know, they're seeing to the Buddha, they're helping him clean his face off, and they, Ananda is actually quite upset. And he says to the Buddha, why didn't you even say anything back at him? Why didn't you yell at him? Why didn't you, you know, let us punch him? And the Buddha says, if I'm to be angry at anyone, I would be angry at you all. You've spent how many years in my company listening to my teachings, and you've not learned much. So that scene ends, and the scene cuts to the Brahmin back in his home, and he's at night, and he's trying to sleep, and he's tossing and turning, but all he can see in his mind's eye is the face of the Buddha smiling, emanating this loving kindness. And he can't sleep, and he can't sleep. And this goes on night after night for a week. Uh, this Brahmin can't get any sleep because keeps seeing the image of the Buddha smiling while he's swearing out the Buddha and spitting on him. So finally, the Brahmin goes back to see the Buddha. The attendants are there again and some people around. There's a smaller crowd this day because it's not a festive day. And the Brahmin runs over to the Buddha and he kneels before him and bows three times and starts to bathe his feet the Buddha says, stand up, Brahman. Why, why do you honor me so? The Brahman says, I came here a week ago. You must remember me. And I said so many horrible things to you and made accusations to you that clearly are not true. And I even spat on your face. Do you not remember? The Buddha says, I remember that there was a person here who looked something like you, who came in here and did these actions that you describe. He said, but my friend, a week has passed and you are not the same person you were a week ago. That person is dead and gone. And in fact, I am not the same person that I was a week ago. That person is also dead and gone. And since you are a different person than was here a week ago, and I am a different person, well, we are two strangers meeting anew. So please, take the seat in my assembly. 
And the Buddha welcomed the Brahmin in, and the Brahmin became a follower, a student of the Buddha for the rest of his life. And so I think I will leave you there to chew on that uh, story. There are many subtleties there. There are many also not-so-subtle lessons in, in that as well. Uh, but it's one that I keep coming back to time and time again. My friends, my family in the United States, there's so much division right now. with these practices or with other practices of resilience, compassion, you can make the first move. And as Martin Luther King pointed out, this might be what saves our world. Thank you. Have a great weekend.